that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Maurice and your rants. That's the tech subscribers, 614-350-3315. If you want to sign up for a two-week free trial, we send you info. You send me rants. And every Wednesday, I grab the best ones, and we run through them here. A lot of stuff about some Michigan conversation. We'll get to that at the end. Some Tennessee conversation. We'll talk about CJ Stroud at the end. Uh, some mini rants that we like to get into why passing is better than running the ball, uh, talking about Ohio State franchise quarterbacks or lack thereof in the NFL. Really good rant about angry Ohio State and what that might mean. Something about Emeka uh, uh, Agbuka. And yeah, the revenge stuff, really good revenge stuff. Also about ranked wins. And we're going to start with an Iowa conversation because guess what? They're playing Iowa. And this is like a 28 or 29 point spread. Iowa's offense is awful. I was on a, an Iowa podcast on Tuesday afternoon where I just kind of ripped Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and that whole situation. We'll have that Iowa reporter, John Steppe, uh, on our preview podcast on Friday. He had some good things. Letting us know where Iowa really is good defensively, where they are really bad offensively, that kind of thing. But there is a lot of Iowa conversation, and I do think this was an interesting one because it, it echoed what Ryan Day said, and maybe that's why our good friend Ron in Jupiter, Florida, used this term. After all this, watch Iowa torch us for like 35 points. Ha ha. That ha ha was very important there. From 2017, our program is still seeing tight ends popping up from everywhere and streaking across the field untouched. Tight end after tight end after tight end. Get my drift? Well, I guess I'm still scarred. So listen, this is a really weird situation. To put this in context, Ohio State and Iowa have only played twice in the last 11 years at this point. They played in 2013, which is Ohio State's last win against Iowa, and they played in 2017 in Kinnick Stadium when Ohio State lost. So this will be, coming up on Saturday, the third game in 11 seasons. In that same period of time, so Ohio State at the moment in the last 11 seasons is 1-1 one one against Iowa. More important, Iowa is 1-1 one one against Ohio State. In that same 11 seasons, Wisconsin is 0-9 against Ohio State. That's how often the Buckeyes have played the Badgers, often in the Big Ten Championship game, but also they just played them more in the regular season. So what has happened, and Nathan made a good point about this, but what has happened is is Wisconsin, since upsetting Ohio State in Madison in 2010, has been reminded repeatedly where they fall short against the best team in the conference. So when Paul Chris started to backslide, and they said, well, even your peak, Paul Christ, can't hang with Ohio State. Now, listen, they they were competitive for half in some of these games. They were competitive for three quarters. This season showed it, how clearly they're not competitive right now. But they've had a constant reminder. While being, by overall record, the second best program in the Big Ten by record in that period. Iowa's been the third best team in the Big Ten. But they've been able to hide. They've been able to hide from the reality of Ohio State. I, this is saying, it's a rant podcast. So, you know, if you say rant, if, if you can, then you can say whatever you want. It's like, oh, I was just ranting, right? So I think it's possible Ohio State could send Kirk Ferentz into retirement because I think, now listen, it's a $42 million buyout, which we'll talk about in the Friday pod. It's nuts. So it's, that's probably hyperbolic. He's not going anywhere. But I think it might be a stark reminder on Saturday 
how much has changed since 2017. Now, the one thing that's the same is Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson tore apart the Ohio State defense. Each of those tight ends who went on to be first-round draft picks were a problem that day. Ohio State will not have those same kind of problems. They covered Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end, really well uh, the first time they faced a great tight end. But Sam Laporta and Luke Lachey, Jim's son, are two really good tight ends. And so that's similar, that Iowa, what they do best is a tight end. What is not similar is Ohio State should not be as vulnerable to, to it with this Jim Knowles defense. Nate Staley, the Iowa quarterback, played the game of his life that day. Spencer Petras isn't capable of that. And Brian Ferentz now runs the offense, and he's terrible. The defense is solid, but you know Josh Jackson at corner had a bunch of picks that day. He went on, I think it was a second-round pick in the NFL. NFL guys making plays. I just don't think Iowa's there right now. And the, the bigger deal is, think how much Ohio State has evolved since 2017. Think how much they've evolved since 2011. Since 20, So again, from 2011 on, they've only played twice. Think about how different. 2011's Luke Fickle. Then you get to Urban Meyer. Now they're where they are with Ryan Day. The way they play offense, Iowa has been hidden from the Ohio State offensive revolution. Because even JT Barrett, Ryan Day's first year as the offensive coordinator in 2017, that was with JT Barrett. That was a different deal than Dwayne Haskins Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, and Iowa has never had to deal with it. So I th- I thought I wanted to start with that because Ryan Day said scarred. That's the word he used. That day in Iowa City, shell-shocked, right, Urban? I remember, like, my thing after that game was, like, are there cracks in the foundation of Ohio State? Because Urban looked shell-shocked. And the the Purdue loss in 18 was a little bit more of a jolt you know, that it was like it kind of got away from at the end and they couldn't tackle Rondale more. But the Iowa game, it was like a pick six, like right at the beginning, four picks over the course of the game. It was coming off such a high from the Penn State comeback win the week before. I There was more of a weight, I felt, to the 2017. Now, listen, 2018 had all those issues with the with the defense. The, tw- the 2018 loss to Purdue highlighted the defensive issues that were there the whole time. But 2017 just felt like they got driven into the ground and they they didn't – it was a three-hour slogging, flogging, logging, and they didn't know what to do. So I understand, like, why Ryan Day used the word scar because it was scarring, but it's been a long – it should he- have healed by now, right? Which is, I guess, the whole point. It healed, but there's a scar there. It's not still an open wound. Ryan Day, Day didn't say, it's still an open wound. It'd be like, man, that's probably infected. It's not an open wound. It's scarred. And you say, ah, what's that thing? Oh, what happened there? Did you trip? Did you like scratch yourself on a nail? It's like, no, that's Iowa. It's a scar. So um, I do think that's real, but I think Iowa has, I'm, I'm really invested in this kind of idea for this game. That potentially Kirk Ferentz has never seen this in his entire coaching career, but clearly Iowa has not seen this new version of the Ohio State offense that cost Don Brown the defensive coordinator job at Michigan, right? That dropped 59 on Wisconsin in a Big Ten championship game. That was even before Ryan Day, but even they haven't even really seen that. You know, like they just, I was, that's actually a bad example. That was before 2017. But since 2017, like just, they didn't, they didn't experience, they didn't never, they never saw Garrett Wilson. They never saw Chris Olave. Right, they never saw Justin Fields. They 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 didn't feel the full force of what Ohio State can do in the passing game, and so I think that will come to bear on Saturday. So um, 
Let's talk more about this Iowa game because more rants about that. From the 813, Iowa's offense is so bad that if the Ohio State defense gives up more than 14 points, it's an utter failure. Fair? Um, borderline almost fair. Iowa has scored seven offensive touchdowns in six games. They also have two defensive touchdowns. So this is um, like hard to believe how bad this offense is. So if you want to set an over-under of anything above 14 points, and again, I think that's against the starters. If they, if they, if when Ohio State starters come out, they've given up more than 14, you are allowed to raise an eyebrow. That's officially how I will how I will uh, handle that. From the 614, Iowa has twice crushed Ohio State in the last 20 years or so, 2004 and 2017. Ohio State lost two recent five stars to Iowa, in-state, but whatever. Ohio State owes this program a butt-kicking more than any other program in the conference. I'm tired of everything about them, and it's long past time to embarrass them like they're Michigan State. Again, they, they just, they've escaped it. So... I understand why you might feel that way. From the 614, this Iowa game is the worst of all worlds for Ohio State. If you win by 40, Iowa stinks. If you win by less than two touchdowns, you drop in the polls. If you lose, then you're probably out of the playoffs. All this against a team one year removed from the Big Ten title game who's had a week off to be told how much their offense stinks. The thing about that is, is it's true. So it's like one of these things like, oh, we had to sit here all week and be told. Well, if it's true... It doesn't matter if you're motivated to prove it wrong because it's true. I mean, I just think there's such a disparity here that I, I understand what you're saying. Them making the Big Ten championship game last year was a little bit smoke and mirrors. But then, by the way, when they got there against a good team, Michigan destroyed them. So I would hang less on, hey, they made the Big Ten title game last year and hang more on what happened when they got there. And I think that's more indicative of what might happen on Saturday. So I just, I, I would not spend a lot of time like reverse jinxing yourself into backing into a, you know, oh my gosh, they might be motivated to prove the world wrong. Like they're terrible. This is their offense is an embarrassment. It's, it's an offense from 20 years ago. Like it's just, it's awful. So that's the truth from the two one six. What would need to happen for Ohio state to lose on Saturday? I don't, why would, I mean, if this is, I didn't make this rant. Somebody out there made this rant. My guess is Stroud gets abducted by aliens because that's what we say here. That's not what this person wrote, but that's what we say. McCord throws five picks. Mine and our Henderson get abducted by aliens. And the other doesn't have a great day. We commit 10 plus penalties. The corners play their worst game. I don't need, And this could all happen because college football is like that. Uh, no, it can't. This is not Tennessee, Alabama. This is not even, this is not Texas, Alabama. This is, I don't, this isn't even like Tulane, Kansas State. Like I just don't, and, and, I was going to say like, oh, when I'm wrong, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just, it's such a mismatch. I don't know that people understand exactly how much of a mismatch this is. Ohio State has 41 offensive touchdowns and 19 punts this year. Iowa has seven offensive touchdowns and 42 punts this year. The gap between these two offenses is so gigantic I think perhaps people are underestimating what this is going to be like. So pl this is not the time to be uh, like, oh, I don't know. Anything can happen. It's not going to happen. So just so you know, just so you know, you can relax about that from the 740. Hey, Doug, I've been waiting for this all week. I thought about taking uh, talking to a therapist, but this tech subscription is way cheaper. That Buckeye talk. 
I'm going to pickle. My best friend coaches track and field at the University of Iowa, and he's coming to town this weekend for the game. Me and eight other people, mostly friends and spouses, will be sitting together, and we all paid for our seats. He is now demanding that we all wear Iowa apparel and root for the Hawkeyes. Some of my friends plan on doing this, but not me. Am I crazy for saying no to black and yellow? When I go to visit him in Iowa City for a game, I'm more than happy to wear Iowa gear and root for the home team. I've told him I'm wearing scarlet and gray to the game, and he keeps bullying me to support his school. Thanks for listening to me. Go Bucks. Bryce from Columbus. Are you going to a track meet? Is he on the sideline? Is his job on the line? Is he participating in it? Are you supporting your friend at his job? Or are you just like going to a work picnic and he's demanding that you wear the work gear? You don't work for that school. So no, you don't have to wear the black and yellow. And as far as I can tell, he didn't get you the ticket. So I, no offense to your friend, which is what a great job to be a track and field coach at college, but I would tell your friend to cram it. You're not getting paid by Iowa. He's not buying the seat. It feels like your connection, and by the way, just because you're employed by something, Bryce, it feels to me like your connection to Ohio State might be strong. He's just employed there. It's just a job, man, right? So if you went to a track meet and your friend was coaching, I love that. I said this to Bryce because I said, I love the Dear Abby aspect of this. Dear Abby, my husband, I love that stuff. I think that's a racket, right? Because as anyone qualified, I mean, all those people, it's just, it's just common sense. My neighbors keep setting my bushes on fire. What should I do? It's like, tell your neighbor to cram it. Actually would be my, could I get away with an advice column called cram it? Where everything is someone asking, what should I do? There's this person in my life that's giving me trouble. And then my answer every time is blah, 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 blah. Tell them to cram it. And every single, like how I end every podcast with, and that was Buckeye Talk. Every single piece of advice would end with and tell them to cram it. And then we make shirts. Because I would tell your friend politely to cram it. Go have fun. But like... It's not his team. It's his school, but it's not his team. So I, I find this, I can't believe he's not, he's, he's not actually bullying you, right? He's just like, ha, 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 where am I, black and yellow? It's nuts. And you can play this for him. Good luck to the track and field team, but um, you're not going to a track meet. If it's shot put, go wear black and yellow for the shot put, but, but get back to me when it's the hammer throw. All right, this is the last one kind of about Iowa. Doug, here's my rant from the 513. As a true king of the North, it is Ohio State's obligation to not only defeat any and all challenges to the throne, but also force the removal of any underperforming vassal house, which is the entire Big Ten West. Houses Frost and Crist are gone. Now it is time to remove House Ferentz. He's outlived his usefulness, his tactics are outdated, and his heir is completely incompetent. I want Ohio State to go out and absolutely destroy Iowa. It's what is required as king. Why? One to win national championships. Ohio State needs strong vassal houses underneath it in the Big Ten. Looking back, Iowa embarrassing us in 2017 was good for Ohio State. It told us in no uncertain terms that what we were doing was not good enough, too. The Big Ten success has been anchored by its TV revenues. Iowa and other West teams are putting out horrible products. Seriously, if each game in the Big Ten schedule had its TV rights auctioned off individually, the Big Ten West head-to-head games may collectively end up owing money to the broadcasters. Their product stinks. This is a long text. Ohio State owes it to itself and its kingdom to punish grossly underperforming programs. That was Nebraska. That was Wisconsin. And that is Iowa. 
And uh, this person was very confident that they were going to get this text on because it mentioned uh, Brian Ferentz and uh, our King of the North kind of thing. And you did get on. I, I don't completely disagree with that. Like uh, the idea that it's that. It, here's the thing. We, we talk about this all the time. There's the balance of you want your conference to be good, but not too good. Right. Uh, if you're a team like Ohio State, any team on top, you want challenges, you want respect, but you don't actually want to be knocked off. I do think it's run its course at Iowa. I think that's true. Yes, they made the Big Ten championship game last year, but they did so in spite of their offense. And there's no reason that Iowa's offense should be this bad just because their defense and special teams is pretty solid. So if Paul Chris can go, I think Kirk Ferentz could go. If Scott Frost can go, I think Kirk Ferentz can go. And I think a rejuvenation of the Big Ten West is not a terrible idea because I do think Big Ten teams... Now, listen, the, the problem, it's not a problem, but like Brett Bielema is winning right now kind of this way. But it's kind of because he came in and he's kind of got to do it, I think. But generally, you, you you don't want too many teams in the Big Ten trying to win this way. Once upon a time, like Jim Trestle tried to win this way. But Jim Trestle is no longer the head coach at Ohio State. And this is no longer how Ohio State goes about its business with punting and special teams. And I asked Ryan Day a punt question yesterday on Tuesday because I want to write about punts and kind of how teams view them and that kind of thing. I think it's run its course and the idea of like Ohio State sort of vanquishing an underachieving foe is not a terrible idea. So we wanted to dig in on Iowa off the bat because that's who they're playing. We're going to have the preview, the game preview podcast on Friday. We're going to have me and Tishu with our gambling preview on Friday. Thursday pod, Stephen and I are going to do recruiting rapid fire. Because, you know, there wasn't a game to get kind of new rapid fire uh, juiced up about. So we're going to dig in on what's up with Ohio State recruiting right now. We haven't done that in a while, so that'll be good. But we're going to continue with the rants here on Buckeye Talk right after this. All right, Doug Maurice, this is a really well thought out rant. It's the second one we'll do, and we'll keep it to this. It's Matt from California, first time texter. Thanks to you, Nathan and Steven, for the best coverage on the Beat by a Mile. The pods are fantastic, and the texts really make it easy to stay informed on daily team updates. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Matt. One of the reasons, this is really good, one of the reasons Ohio State will convincingly beat Michigan this year has not been discussed yet, the revenge factor. The famous angry Bama concept applies to Ohio State's record the past 20 years. I was was all about angry Bama in 2020. They won the national title. Throughout the Trestle, Urban, and Day eras, teams do not beat us back-to-back years. 2003, lost to Michigan. 2004, dominant win. 2005, lost to Texas and Penn State. 2006, dominant wins over both. 2007, lost to Illinois. 2008, win over Illinois. 2008, lost to Penn State. 2009, impressive win. 2008, the lone exception here, lost to USC. 2009, lose to USC again. But it was closer, right? It was, a what was it, 35-3? Out there in 08, then in 09, it was the Matt Barkley year, and it was like, what was it, like 12-9 or something? Like a really weird game. But that was like the one time they lost back-to-back to the same opponent. 2010, lost to Wisconsin as the number one team in the country. 2011, upset win that was the highlight of the season, right? Braxton Miller to Devin Smith beating Russell Wilson. That's a, that's a really good point for the revenge idea here. 2012, avenged every Big Ten loss from the fickle year in 2011. 2013, Lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game. 2014, season-changing win that started the title run. 2014, lost to Virginia Tech. 2015, season-opening win over Virginia Tech. 2015, brutal loss to Michigan State. 2016, win over Michigan State, the least impressive of the bunch. 2016, lost to Penn State. 2017, epic comeback win against Penn State. 2019, Clemson. 2020, Sugar Bowl beatdown in the playoff. 
Of this list, the Michigan State 2013-2014 scenario and the Clemson 2019-2020 years stand out the most, where the journey to avenge a single game defined the season up until that point. This year feels very similar to me. Beware the angry bucks. Matt, off the top rope, first-time texter, welcome to the text. That's how you do the rant, my friend. Good research, good point. Had a little like angry bucks thing there. I don't know. I don't know that you can argue with that. Now, part of it is like they just don't lose that much, but there are points in there that are definitely worth acknowledging, and it's probably worth having some discussions with some of the players from those past teams and kind of what the revenge factor, how it motivated them, because it's one of those things. You can really talk about it, I think, too much sometimes. In the end, everybody wants to win every game. But then a lot of times after the fact, guys like will admit, yeah, no, I was thinking, I mean, that drove me crazy, right? And like the Ohio State guys are already admitting it now, like how how mad they are about this. Obviously, the revenge tour kind of backfired for Michigan a couple of years ago when they tried to do that. So I don't think they want to talk about it, but they probably are living it. And so I think Matt from California uh, brought up some very good points there. All right, next one. From the 513, is it rant time? Well, if not, I hope you see this, Doug. It is rant time. So welcome. Why do people count ranked wins versus top 25 teams if the team is no longer the top 25? It drives me nuts that people are saying Tennessee has four wins versus AP top 25 teams when Alabama is the only ranked team that they have beaten. Make it make sense, please. Let's do one other person was kind of on this this idea as well about ranked wins. From the 330, this is probably going to be a long rant, but hear me out. I'm an OSU fan first and college fan second. So I listen to other college podcasts. I can't understand for the life of me some of these other analysts take on the top five of college football right now. I keep hearing things like Tennessee has four ranked wins. No, they do not. Wait, I'm going to make sure it's not the same person. It's not the same person. This is the, the second one's from the 330. They have one ranked, ranked win, which is a good one, but only one nonetheless. Beating teams who are ranked at the time, then come a month later, aren't ranked. That is no longer a ranked win. It drives me insane. On another podcast I listen to and respect, which will remain unnamed. They claim Georgia should be one, Tennessee two, Michigan three, Clemson four, and Ohio State five. Blasphemous. I don't know how someone can watch OSU play, really watch the X's and O's and see what they do and not have them one, and it works too. I understand Michigan dominated Penn State, Tennessee won a big game, but Georgia's still at one based off preseason hype and that alone. The only team that can hang with Ohio State, in my opinion, is Tennessee because the state of our DBs and the Michigan game will be close, but I like our odds. Thanks, love the show from the 330. So again, I agree with this, and I would not talk about it that way. Now, it's a shorthand. The problem is sometimes when you go through a team schedule, like if you go on ESPN.com and you go through a team schedule, it has the ranking at the time that they played right there, so it's an easy check. But it's also easy to look at the current top 25 and say, well, how many wins do they have over the current top 25, which is what I did. So the thing with here is I agree that Tennessee does not have four ranked wins, but also it's not a great comparison for Ohio State to do it this way, just so you guys know that. So if you want to dig in on ranks, wins over teams currently ranked, there are 21 losses among teams in the top 25 right now, right? A lot of several, whatever, seven, eight, nine undefeated teams, bunch with one loss, a couple with two losses. The only team in the country that has two wins over teams currently in the top 25, do you want to give a quick guess? I like to give you guys time to try to guess and it's Clemson. They've beaten Wake Forest and North Carolina State, okay? So then of the teams in the top nine, the only team in the top nine without a win over a team currently ranked is Ohio State. 
Tennessee has beaten Alabama. Georgia has beaten Oregon. Clemson has those two, as I said. UCLA has beaten Utah. Michigan has beaten Penn State. Ole Miss has beaten Kentucky. Alabama has beaten Texas. So, and TCU has beaten Oklahoma State. So those are the other eight teams in the top nine. So I get why you're um, peeved about Tennessee. It's I don't want to say it's lazy. It's just a shorthand that people use, but I do think it's inaccurate because that's not what it's about. Um, and like, that's not how like the playoff committee does it. So again, I understand being, I get frustrated. As I said, some of the things that my rants are often about ranting about the ways that other people talk about the sport. Just to, this is not how the committee does it. The committee looks at teams where key teams currently are as of that ranking. And then they say, oh, you have this many wins against teams in our top 40 or teams in our top 60 or teams in our top 25. But it's based on the now. It's not based on the then. Because just because you had a view of a team once upon a time that was wrong, you don't get credit for that. But that also is hurting Ohio State because actually Ohio State has only one win over a team that was ranked at the time, Notre Dame, who was five in week one. But there were three teams that Ohio State has now beaten that were ranked in the preseason. Notre Dame was five, Michigan State was 15, and Wisconsin was 18. So it's not Ohio State's fault that Wisconsin and Michigan State and Notre Dame, who are all in the preseason top 25, are no longer there. But I agree that's not the way to do it. So complain to those people. Complain to me, and I'll say they're wrong. But I I do think it's an incorrect way to think about it. You're trying to evaluate the strength of a team's schedule based on what those teams have proven over time, not a snapshot of what that team happened to be on September 12th when your team beat them when they were number 17 and now they're two and four, but you're supposed to be impressed because back then they were number 17 because people don't realize, didn't realize how bad they were. I agree that that is something to rant about. This is a quickie. From the 802, Doug, I think Emeka Agbuka needs more recognition. He leads the team in receptions, yards, yards per catch. Thanks, Michael. Um, that's an easy one because I agree. I, he, it's easy for him to slip past us. He is sixth in the nation with 109.2 receiving yards per game. He's third among power five receivers in receiving yards per game. I'm a little curious how this is going to shake out in the Big Ten because there's a Nebraska guy who's actually ahead of him. And Charlie Jones at Purdue has really good stats as well. And I just, a lot of times, like the voters don't like to put two receivers from the same team on first team all Big Ten. We saw it last year with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I do think it's possible Emeka winds up getting overlooked because Marvin Harris, Marvin Harrison Jr. is spectacular and leads the nation in touchdown receptions. And that's real. But Emeka down to down, play to play, I think is as smooth and efficient uh, and as good at his job as, as anybody you'll find. So it's, uh, we've tried to talk about him, right? I think that's, I don't know that he's a, a underrated to Ohio State fans, but I think nationally, yeah, he was the number one recruit in the country at receiver. And he's a second year guy. So given that he's that, I think probably he's not getting, he's sixth in the nation in receiving yards. As a second-year player who was the number one receiver recruit in the country, and if you said a Mecca Buka to a lot of college football fans out there, I don't know that they'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy, right? So I understand what's going on here, but I hope we're certainly not doing it here. And I think Ohio State fans in general certainly are not doing that. All right, right number five. This is one I'm down with because I, I agree with it. 
from the 614. Okay, Doug, I've had this rant bottled up for a while, and maybe I'm a coward for waiting until a six-touchdown passing performance when the nonsense has died down, but I'd sum it up as this. Pass the dang ball. I can tell you know this because you always make an offhand comment about it when the established the run types write in or even hosts weigh in, not naming any names. But it drives me nuts to hear these constant questions that all boil down to basically, why isn't Day calling more run plays? The answer is simple. Passing the football is better. Passing is more efficient and more successful, particularly on early downs, which represent most of your plays. It makes you more likely to have a lead and to have a lead at halftime, both of which lead to more wins. Pass plays have higher expected points added and higher win probably. The best players on the roster are all part of the passing game. Is running important? Yes. It's particularly good on third down and in the red zone. You do have to be perceived as being willing and able to run the ball, and it's important to have a changeup to throw. It also shortens the game, which is great once you have a lead, which you've built thanks, assuming, to the fact that you were passing early and often. But there are quite a few myths about running the ball that have seeped into the rants and discussions. You do not need to run the ball to set up play-action passing. Play-action passing is as effective on the first play of the game as it is after 20 run plays. It does not benefit your defense uh, through rest, despite popular opinion. So... I agree with all of this from the 614, like 1,000%, which is when when a lot of people were very excited about the way Ohio State ran the ball against Notre Dame, and that was a situation where in that circumstance, Notre Dame's dropping eight. It's a little clunky with Jackson out, right? He goes out in the midst of that game. They needed to run the ball because of the circumstance. They put the game away with Mayan Williams running the ball in that final icing drive. But also that drive was kept alive by C.J. Stroud on third down, escaping the pocket, making a throw on the sideline to Mayan Williams. That's not how you want to win. So I think all the things you said, red zone, even we were talking to Kevin Wilson on Tuesday, and Kevin Wilson said, yeah, you know, hey, uh, you're right. he's, not, he's not Tim May. He does have a little bit. God, Kevin Wilson loves to talk ball. He was talking about, hey, Ryan sometimes likes to get aggressive down there, likes to get aggressive down there in the red zone, likes to throw it. That Ryan Day like still wants to throw it in the red zone, but it gets tight down there, right? There's you don't you don't have to defend as much because you don't have to defend deep. You have the compressed end zone. He was talking about it could be a picket fence back there, right? Where it just feels like there's eight DBs lined up in the goal line because they don't have to worry about getting beat deep. And that can make it hard to throw. Now, CJ's still really good at it, but there are times when you have to have the threat of the run. And I do think I, I agree with everything about that rant. Because what you need is the threat of the run. You have to do it enough for people to be worried about it. So they don't think, ah, I mean, we'll drop eight. Who cares? Or we'll we'll go crazy and rush the passer. Who cares? Because if they do run the ball, then we'll react to it after the fact and stop it because they're terrible at it. But you don't have to do it. You need to be just good enough at it and do it just enough to keep defenses a little bit honest. But they, this is not how Ohio State's going to win a national championship. And this is not how the, the game works right now. And I do think sometimes if you have a good offensive line coach and you have a, you know, a physical back who can get some tough yards, even if he's not the most explosive guy in the world, you go about offense that way because you can't recruit quarterbacks and receivers or you don't have a guy who can scheme it up in the pass game. But when you have all those things and Ohio State has it across the board, then lean on that. That's how they're going to win. That's what everybody wants. I don't, you know, like I I think my thing off Notre Dame was for one day, Ryan Day wanted to be Jim Trestle, but that is not Jim Trestle's Kirk Ferentz in some ways, right? Jim, like Kirk Ferentz is Jim Trestle light. Jim Trestle is turbo Kirk Ferentz. And we just spent the whole beginning of this podcast saying like, it's run its course, Kirk. It's Geo. So they, they've given up trying to throw the ball at Iowa because they don't think they can recruit the quarterbacks and receivers. They actually had a guy named Charlie Jones who transferred to Purdue 
and might be first team all Big Ten this year. While he was at Iowa, he has three times as many receptions in seven games at Purdue as he did last year in 14 games at Iowa because they didn't know what to do with him. So even when they had people in the past game, they're so inept at it. They didn't. They were staring at the face. They didn't know what to do. That's no way to live. Passing the ball is what it's about. So Ohio State's in the right spot for that. It's why Ryan Day is so important to the future of Ohio State because you had the right kind of guy and the right kind of moment. And you look at Penn State. We have a James Franklin question I wasn't able to get to. I'll save it. But like James Franklin did a little bit of a bind because he's not a schemer like that offensively. And so I just think it's – I know there, it's a bit, of a little bit of a transition to defensive head coaches. But still in this day and age, when your head coach is your offensive schemer and that's a, that's a quarterback pass game schemer, I just think it puts you ahead of the game. It does because you don't have to worry about your coordinator leaving. And that's where the game is at right now. So I, I hope we've expressed that enough on this podcast. They need the run game at the right time. And exactly. I, I, just, I agree with everything. The whole rant. Third and short, red zone, enough to keep them honest the rest of the time. But passing is what it's all about. This is a passing question. Number six on our list of rants. This is a good one from our guy, Seth Shaner. I saw someone on Twitter make a totally sensible point I hadn't thought about when I drowned in my sorrows that Ohio State hasn't had a franchise quarterback in the NFL. The point was that it's not exactly like any other school has a treasure trove of franchise NFL QB. So I made a very unscientific list of quarterbacks who were or are longtime starters, won MVPs or Super Bowls. And you know what I found? Miami in the 80s had Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar, and a little bit Vinny Testaverde. Beyond that, maybe BYU because Steve Young is definitely one, and then Jim McMahon. The only other school that landed me on a second franchise quarterback over decades was Stanford with John Elway and Andrew Luck. So, had OSU had a true franchise quarterback? No, but most schools don't have more than one or two either. That's Seth Shaner. This is something that we've talked about. The surprising thing to me is that Ohio State didn't have one. So, it was in an era where Drew Brees was from Purdue and Tom Brady was from Michigan, and the Tom Brady-Michigan thing is really like a pivot point in this discussion, I think, for the Big Ten and Ohio State and everybody else. And then Russell Wilson had the one year at Wisconsin. But, you know, you kind of get to claim the guy if he's at the end. Ohio State can claim Jonah Jackson, even though he was at Rutgers for most of his career, right? So Ohio State, they produce, you know, Pro Bowl quality guards. But it was just a little weird that, like, nobody really hit. Not that they didn't have, not that they didn't have multiple, but they didn't have any. Right. That was kind of the thing that Troy Smith didn't hit. And then Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor didn't hit. And Craig Krenzel, you know, certainly played and started in the NFL, certainly wasn't a franchise quarterback. Joe Germain, right? Like nobody hit. So that that they didn't have one was the thing. But to 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 compliment Seth's uh, wonderful research, and there's nothing better for me than when you guys do my job for free uh, for me, I did look at all the guys who I were borderline franchise quarterbacks. So I must have find it as, are you starting right now? And you'll probably start for your team next year. So like Baker Mayfield did not make that list. Cause he's not going to be the starter in Carolina next year. The only schools that had multiple guys Clemson has two right now. So right now in the NFL who are starting quarterbacks that are pseudo, at least long-term starters for their teams. Clemson has two Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville Deshaun Watson with the Browns. Alabama has like two and a half. Mac Jones in New England, although maybe Bailey Zappi is going to take his job. Tua Tonga-Vailoa in Miami. And then Jalen Hurts, who finished up at Oklahoma, but is an MVP candidate in Philly. 
I guess we give him credit for Oklahoma, but he did spend a chunk of his time in Alabama too. So then you go Oklahoma, Kyler Murray in Arizona, and then Jalen Hurts, half of Jalen Hurts. And then Ohio State actually has one and a half right now. Now, not franchise quarterback like sure thing 10-year guy, but Justin Fields and half of Joe Burrow. It's like one and a half. Nobody else has more than just a, a single one. You know, it's like you can run through Josh Allen from Wyoming and Matt Ryan's from Boston College and Zach Wilson's from BYU and Patrick Mahomes is from Texas Tech and Justin Herbert's from Oregon and Lamar Jackson's from Louisville. It's like kind of all these weird things, right? So I think Seth makes a good point. It's, it's, it's never really been to me that there wasn't like a legacy of NFL quarterback play at Ohio State. It's that they didn't have the one guy to point to. So maybe Justin Fields will be that. Again, uh, so the Dwayne Haskins situation, it's just, it's just so sad that Dwayne didn't get another chance to, to prove what he could do. Um, CJ Stroud, I, I think, will be that. If, I mean, I thought Justin – I mean, listen, I'm not – I was saying, I just thought that Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields would both work. And I think Dwayne got put in a very, very, very difficult situation in Washington. He's a limited at was a limited athlete, but I think Bing Bang Boom. I think it could have worked. In the end, I think he was somewhat a product of what Ryan Day had designed at Ohio State. But I think in a better situation, it could have worked. Maybe not franchise quarterback, but solid starter for a couple of years. I think that was possible. I still think Justin can hit. Justin again is in a tough spot. No line, no skill guys around him. I think I think Justin does a lot of good things, and he just needs a little help. And I think CJ will hit. So again, I don't. Oh, now I think every Ohio State quarterback is going to be a star. I just, you know, I do think there's some question. I think I did say this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, well, you know, maybe it's that this Ohio State offense does put guys in position to succeed, and not that they look better than they are, but they really maximize their skills. And then if you get to the NFL and you're not in a system or not surrounded by talent that maximizes you the same way, are Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields, are they players who can absolutely, no matter what, succeed in every situation? Well, there's not many quarterbacks like that, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes went to Andy Reid, and Josh Allen went to Sean McDermott as a head coach, and Brian Dayball as an offensive coordinator for early in his career. Like, almost every quarterback still needs right coach, right franchise, right situation, stability, scheme that fits him, guys around him, skilled players who can help. So I think it's possible that Ohio State, five years from now, we will be saying, oh, they have multiple franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that's very possible. But to Seth's point that, hey, if you point it out about Ohio State, you could point it out about a lot of programs. I think that's a point well taken. All right. People want to talk about Tennessee in various ways. Rant from the 937. It's our guy, Nick. Tennessee beating Alabama was the worst thing possible for Ohio State, the entire college football landscape, and especially the Heisman race. If Alabama would have won, even by a field goal, everything would have been better. I'm willing to bet that Alabama runs the table in the rest of the season and wins the SEC against either Georgia or Tennessee, which likely means two SEC teams get into the playoff. I'd rather have had Bama make it to the playoff undefeated, that they look vulnerable and downright flustered. I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm tired of seeing two teams in the playoff from the same conference. Also, Tennessee being in Alabama, even though they may stink, means Hendon Hooker is going to win the Heisman. This is exactly like Burrow and Haskins. Burrow played very well, but he also had that fancy win against Alabama that really shot at the top, where Haskins broke nearly every record. No one even looked his way. So I don't love that comparison. Joe Burrow's stats were through the roof. LSU was clearly the best team in the country, and he was the engine of that. So 
that is, I, I would not make a Hendon Hooker, CJ Stroud comparison to Burrow and Haskins. Burrow deserved every vote ahead of Dwayne Haskins that he got. But I understand what you're saying of if you're setting up a situation where now Tennessee gets the credit for beating Bama, but Bama runs the table and wins the SEC. So they get in like all of a sudden you're having a multi-team SEC playoff scenario. I, I do know what you're saying. Sometimes as much as people are sick of Bama, it's just easier to let Bama be Bama and have like everybody else kind of fall by the wayside. And then the world can take its shot at Bama, like in 2014, because Bama, when Bama's the second option, like when Bama got in as the four seed, when Bama's the second option, when Georgia was the SEC champ and Bama didn't even make the SEC championship game in 18, right? Bama gets all the credit for being Bama. They're always, if they're in a fight for the four spot, they're usually going to win it. So it's almost like, well, just let them be the one seed. And then everybody else in the SEC isn't as compelling as a lower seed. So I understand that point um, that you're talking about there. From the 719, another Tennessee point. Let's just cancel the rest of the season and make Tennessee the national champs and give Hendon Hooker the Heisman. After all, they did beat Bama. That's Dan in Colorado. So angry. So angry. Um, let's do this one from the 419. I think Ohio State would love to play either Tennessee or Alabama right now. Both of their secondaries are not very good. Granted, our corners will get tested too, but we would hang 40 plus on both those teams. And I doubt Jim Knowles doesn't find a way to keep them under 40. I thought a really interesting thing that Jim Knowles said on Tuesday, because he did get asked about Tennessee, believe it or not, and watching them. He said it reminded him of the offenses in the Big 12 that he designed his defense to stop. So the Big 12 has now since flipped. It's gone from an offensive conference to a defensive conference. Jim Knowles actually had kind of a lot to do with that. But back in the day when he gets to Oklahoma State, they are more in the world of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray at Oklahoma and Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. And this is a high-flying offense first, run and shoot, wide open spread offense conference. And so Jim Knowles, that's where his defense, he came from Duke, but when he when he changed his defense in the Big 12, that's what he changed it to stop. And when he looked at Tennessee, that's what he saw. He saw a Big 12 offense that spreads it out, takes deep chops down the sidelines, some little bit RPO, maybe a little bit in the middle of the field, a quarterback who could be a run threat up the middle if you're not careful. And when Jim Knowles saw that, he thought they were good at it and he respected it, but he also thought, I know that. And file that away. Because that is a that is not where my head ev- went right off the bat. Oh, but that's where Jim Knowles' head went. So file that away. On the College Football Survivor Show this week that Shahana Jeharaj and I did, we talked a lot about Tennessee. And I said on that show, and I hope you guys are trying that out, we have a bonus episode for Apple Podcast subscribers that comes out usually on Tuesday. Usually the main show is out on Wednesday. That's free for everybody. It's $2.99 a month. You want to subscribe to the bonus episodes. We'd love to have you do that, but would love to have you listen to the free episode every Wednesday. We did a lot of talk on Tennessee, and I said as excited as I was a year ago for Ohio State offense versus Georgia defense, I am almost excited as excited now for Ohio State offense versus Tennessee offense. So I, I, I do think Tennessee is pretty real, and... I if if you are on the side of like ah they're going to lose they're fake their defense is terrible um they were without a one of the guys they thought was going to be their starting corner this year is hurt and's out for the year but he wasn't very good so they're kind of okay without him one of their other starting corners was out for the Bama game and one of their starting safeties was suspended for the Bama game but both those guys should be back so yes they got burned but they're going to get some guys back 
the corner is like a former five-star recruit. I think they play a two-corner, three-safety defense. Their starting five as it stands when they're all there is okay. Now, their pass defense is ranked really, really low, but they've played Anthony Richardson from Florida, who lit him up a little bit. But let me know when they, when you see an Anthony Richardson kind of quarterback in the Big Ten, and there isn't one other than C.J. Stroud. So he's inconsistent, but Anthony Richardson at his best is a problem, and he was a problem for Tennessee that day, but Tennessee was still up two scores late and Florida scored a garbage time touchdown and then an onside kick to make it closer than it was. So they still handled that. And then they played Bryce Young and they outscored Bryce Young. Like they beat Bryce Young. They didn't stop him, but they beat him. So yes, Tennessee's, I would say Tennessee's past defense issues probably maybe are more pronounced than Ohio state, but they're really related to two things, which is injury and facing some really good quarterbacks. They give up 300 passing yards to LSU in a game where LSU scored 13 points. They give up like more than 250 to two MAC teams in games they won by 50. So like it didn't matter. So I do think that the narrative, and I hate the word narrative, but I think it's become that, that like Tennessee's pass defense is awful. I actually think it's being exaggerated. So I think Tennessee can beat Georgia. I'm not saying they will beat Georgia. I think Tennessee, as we talked about on the Monday pod, has a chance to get in an 11-1 and as a non-champ. I would like to see it. I would not be, and I said this last year for Ohio State, I would not be scared of Tennessee. I would be intrigued. I would respect them. I would think that Hendon Hooker and four really good receivers can give Ohio State some problems, but I also think Jim Knowles will have some answers. And then I think Tennessee is going to have a real, 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 real trouble stopping Ohio State. So I'm kind of into it, though. And I actually think it could happen. If you tell me, I, I can see it. I can see Ohio State as the one seed, Clemson as the four seed, Bama or Georgia as the two seed, as the SEC champ. Say, and then Clemson as a three seed. Like, I can see that in my head. That feels very possible to me. And I'm here for it. And I think you should embrace and enjoy it. Rant from the 480. Tennessee is a scarier matchup than Michigan, Bama, Georgia, or Clemson. You talked about the corners being the weak link for this team, but not facing a team that can exploit it. Tennessee looks like the team most equipped to do that, and Bama does not. Bryce is great, but Tennessee is a vertical passing game when Bama is more of a marching team with fewer playmakers. Georgia and Michigan are physical runners, but give me Stroud over those passing games that have to play the perfect game to keep the score up. Um, I'm closer to that. I'm closer to Tennessee is scary than like, ah, the heck with Tennessee. So. Um, I would keep that in mind for sure. All right, let's get to some quick hit rapid fire rants. This one about baseball from the 614. You know what sounds awful on a windy, cloudy, 45 degree October day in Ohio? Playing and or watching baseball. I have not and will not understand the logic of a game that is best played in warm weather, having their most significant games potentially played in light snow. It's pure lunacy. Baseball is not a fluid game. Instead, it has lots of stops and starts and mostly a bunch of standing around. That sounds like a lot of fun in late October in Minneapolis. You know what should never be served at a baseball game? Hot chocolate. You know what's even crazier? The NFL, for the most part, play their title games in stadiums where weather won't have a significant impact. Same for college football. Freaking amazing. So baseball, please just play your games in the warm weather months and get out of the way of football season. I am like down with this in a huge way. I think Ohio's, like baseball should reduce its schedule to like 140 instead of 162. And the regular season should should end at the end of August instead of at the end of September. And then the postseason should be September, not October. And no baseball game should be played in October. Sorry, Reggie Jackson. And also you get out of the way of football. So 
I mean, baseball is bonkers in so many ways. And so, you know, the Guardians lost game five to the Yankees and it was exciting, whatever. But like, I do also think I, I end up ranting about, I used to love baseball and now I just, I'm not that interested in baseball. I understand some people still love it, but the idea that you're playing in freezing weather, it absolutely affects how the game is played. It's football season now. It's not baseball season. And the fact that they were, you're playing 162 because like that's what you did in the 60s is stupid. And because you're trying to make every last cent. I mean, it's added to the list of things that I disagree with how baseball does its business, but totally in with the season is too long and they don't need to be playing when it's snowing. Uh, also enjoyed this one. First, my rant from the 937, it's Matt and Cincy. I wasn't sure I had a platform for this, but Buckeye Tops seems like a perfect place. That's what I want this to be. I want it to be part therapy, part rant about things that you feel like you can't rant about anywhere else in the world. I went to McDonald's the other day and got the chicken nugget meal with honey mustard like I have for years. They changed their honey mustard and it absolutely tastes like trash. They might as well give me a cup of dog drool. I hope Doug has enough cachet to get this fixed. Second, I think you should call that stat. Oh, this is a stat I made up for the Texas subscribers. Um, Matt from Cincy. So I'm not a nugget guy. I don't like uh, battered nuggets. I like breaded nuggets. I've never been in on chicken McNuggets. But I also think sometimes that I do believe, and we should ask my 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 friend, the wolf of uh, franchises, who we had on to talk about fast food several months ago in the offseason. I do think you can wind up with different sauces from the local supplier that it's all labeled McDonald's, but it, there could be a little bit of a difference there. But this is why like people don't like change. <laughs> like you get is, it might not even be that the honey mustard sauce now is worse than before. It's just, it's different. And when you go to a place that you've gone to for 10 or 20 or 30 years and you get the same thing and then just they change it without telling you, um, that's disturbing. And sauces really matter. Sauces really matter in the chicken world. You can't take that kind of thing lightly. I would be curious, Matt from Cincy, if that is a permanent change or if it's a supply chain thing where they just got it from, they used to get it from Chad's sauce place and now they're getting it from Steve's sauce place and it's a little different, but they're all labeled McDonald's and maybe they'll go back to Chad's sauce place in a couple months. So hang in. But I also think you can't yell at the people at McDonald's, but you can ask, like, what's up? Because most of the time, I think the workers there, they'll be like, yeah, man, they switched the honey mustard. It's a bummer. And you can at least commiserate. So uh, I'm glad that you felt like you could bring that here. More hate from the 419. I'm not interested in the bye weeks. I'm immediately depressed, especially when uh, Michigan has a big game. They need wiped from the earth with Ohio State highlights or on a weekly basis, and we are unable to do that in a bye week. I can't wait for this team to give the nation more highlights and drown out Michigan from the consciousness of college football. I only want to see them one time a year when they are surgically removing Ohio State's collective foot from their re-end in the postgame of 49-10 blowout. Cheers. So like, it was interesting that in a lot of ways, as Nathan said, it was like a great weekend on the Monday pod. Nathan was saying, man, what a great Saturday to watch college football. Four huge games. One of them was Michigan. So I guess I can understand how that drove you nuts. So like watch Michigan be great. Like people are going to remember Ohio State though. People haven't forgotten how good Ohio State is. So I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang on that for too long. It's okay. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We still did five pods last week instead of six. We still did five. It's okay. We're back. You made it. You made it. Aaron from North Carolina. 
This is a rules rant. I cannot stand when a cornerback throws a ball short and the wide receiver has to stop or slow down and gets run into, causing a defensive pass interference. That just bails out the offense for no reason, in my opinion. Why should a defender get penalized because the quarterback couldn't make a decent throw? This doesn't include back shoulder throws, underthrows only. We are advanced enough to know the difference between the two, and the ref shouldn't call pass interference on bad throws. So I, I hope this evolves. The one good thing that's much better about college football than the NFL is it's not a spot foul. So the NFL needs to evolve to 15-yard pass interference penalties and not a spot foul. So if you do this 56 yards down the field, you don't get a 56-yard pickup because your quarterback underthrew it, and then your quarter, your receiver trying to come back ran into the defender and drew, uh, drew a flag. I was talking to uh, Bill Carrillo in the preseason, the Big Ten uh, rules, uh, rules guy, the head of the officials. And it was a targeting conversation, and it was a conversation about why targeting, why there's not levels of targeting why they don't try to have a 15-yard targeting that's not ejectable, then maybe there's an ejectable targeting because he that gets into intent, right? And and often in trying to differentiate the execution of a penalty, you end up trying to infer intent. Like, well, that one seemed like he didn't mean to do it, but that one seemed more vicious, like maybe he meant to do it. And that was a world where he said they didn't really want to get into. Like it either is or it isn't. And I think some of this with pass interference, we know when it's like, ah, the guy beat me, I'm going to tackle him versus, hey, I'm in position. It's a lousy throw. And I sort of wound up maybe kind of interfering, but it wasn't even my fault. You're trying to, to some degree in that situation, determine intent. And like, they are not that interested in that. So I think that's part of the problem because I don't think they should be afraid of that. And I don't, I, I think we have to be able, I mean, just like so many other things in life, there are levels. So if you're going 10 over speed limit, you get pulled over. That's different than if you're going 50 over the speed limit, you get pulled over. It's both speeding, but the penalty is different. I don't think it's impossible to to have officials differentiate that now. And and maybe you save the really egregious pass interference penalties. Like we know what that looks like. It's like anything. It's like, you know, you know it when you see it. So I, I agree. I think a lot of people agree. It's why, I mean, at some point, quarterbacks are trained to underthrow it. If you underthrow it, at least your guy has a chance. If you overthrow it, it's going to be incomplete because you can't get there. And if you believe in your receiver, give him a chance. And, you, and they also know you might draw this cheap flag. And I do think as much as the game, as we said earlier, it's all about a passing game, as much as the game is tilted towards passing, to now be throwing cheap flags on bad balls is not good for the game. So I think the only way they get there is that they make a decision that we will differentiate intent. But when you hear officials talk about it, it's a, it's a world right now that they don't want to live in. So I agree with your rant. I just don't know if I have good news for you. One more we'll do in the rapid fire here. Doug, thanks for the, oh, this is a stat. I mean, you guys should get this stat. I sent out a stat that I'm trying to make up. I'm going to try to write about it, but I'm working out a stat. That has to do with punting and touchdowns, and there's a big difference between Ohio State and Iowa. So a lot of these comments are about good stat. This is uh, Mike and Wheaton. I'm pretty happy with the state of college football for this year. My rant is about the next two years. Next year, someone needs to decide the schedule for the Big Ten. People like me make hotel reservations with points a year in advance. I have a hotel in Indy booked a year in advance. I can always cancel. For 2024, can we just decide the playoff stuff already? There is too much money to be made to not get going and make everyone who needs to be made happy, happy. That's Mike. So that's complaining about the schedule a year out. And I will say, Nathan has talked about this. The 2023 schedule should be out this week. 
It may even be out by the time you hear this podcast. That's the plan. But they are. It's tough because it used to be that the schedules were made years in advance. They'd set the schedule like you'd know four years of Big Ten games. And they do the non-conference stuff like 10 years in advance. But they want to get away from that. I think the reason they want to get away from that is they're going to get away from divisions. And then I think they want to like play the good teams against each other more because I think the TV partners want it. So you can't know who the good teams are until you see who the good teams are. So if you schedule stuff out four years ahead, and you, th- you say, well, I don't know. I think Wisconsin will be good. Then it's like, oh, my God, they're not good. You're going to have less advanced time on this stuff now. So like mid-October for the next year, is that enough? I don't know. Like, could you do it in September? Do you want to let half the season play out? It's a tough spot, and I appreciate what you're saying, Mike, but I just, I think you might have to get used to this new world. Because as, but also, like, we all want good games, but the TV partners, when they're playing a gazillion dollars, they want good games too. And you can't always tell. And even one year out, but like, this is what basketball does. This is how basketball works. And so for college basketball, I think this is more how college football is going to work. And I don't, I don't think I have good news for you on that, man. I, I'm sorry. This is game times. Similar thing from the 419. Why does it have to take so long for TV networks to set game times? My wife and I are going to the Indiana game and are stuck for making full plans for the day until we know when the kickoff will be. We're three hours away, so the kick time would determine whether we come down Friday night or have time to drive in during the day. Um, I understand it's most likely money-driven, but I'd like to be able to plan the day that is just over three weeks away. So this was, again, part of the TV package a couple years ago um, when they did it. They gave these 12-day windows, which is a 12-day window is like we'll, we'll announce it on the Monday for the two Saturdays from now, right? You guys understand how calendars work, 12 days. You guys ever study like the Napoleonic calendar, like when they went to a 10-day week back then? Because it's like, again, as much as like the earth moves around the sun and all that kind of stuff and a day is a day, a week is made up. Honestly, if you really think about that. So like to, to have a 10-day week, it's kind of goofy. Can you imagine if you wait like 10 days between football games? Probably better for the players. 10-day week. So 12 days out. And I do think there are some six-day windows every now and then when they can wait. But again, what they're waiting for is they're adjusting the game times for the best games in the spots where the TV partners want them. So the TV partners like make their picks and they kind of know what's happening. And like when Fox picks Ohio State, Michigan, they know that's going to be a great game and they know it's going to be at noon because that's where they want it. That's where everybody wants it. That's why they announced that way ahead of time. I don't know what to tell you. Like this is all about TV. And when they're getting paid this much money, you've got to do what the TV folks want you to do. And it's kind of good for us because... They want the best games in the best windows. So I don't know what the rules are going to be with NBC, CBS, ESPN next year. And we don't know all the rules of how they're going to draft, who's going to televise what game. And we certainly don't know exactly. The thing you're going to know is CBS is going to have the 3.30 window. Fox is going to have the noon window. NBC is going to have the nighttime window. So maybe once they know their games, they'll get locked in earlier. But sometimes still these mid-tier games, they're trying to figure out, like, I don't know who who else is playing the Ohio State-Indiana week, but it's like, well, what if Indiana was kind of decent? Well, it seems like not. Well, who's good that week? Well, could Illinois have an interesting game or maybe Purdue will have an interesting game or you just want to go with Ohio State? It just it's kind of stinks. But also, I don't think I have good news for you. I don't think I think we're going to get less and less advanced planning on all this stuff because we're only more and more beholden to the TV networks and they are going to get what they want because they're paying for it.
Okay. When we come back, we have some CJ Stroud stuff to talk about, and we have some Michigan stuff to talk about next on our Buckeye Talk Rams. All right. So one of the things that happened on Tuesday was that Hendon Hooker was named the midseason All-American at CBS Sports, which is where my uh, Survivor Show partner, Shahanjay Haraja, works. He voted in that. And that upset some people. From the 5-6-1, how in the world is CJ not an All-American and quarterback at any point in the season, halfway, quarterway, whatever? Hendon Hooker is getting credit for beating an overrated Bama team that I agree with um, will be most likely, and they'll most likely lose another game and probably not make the playoffs and maybe not the SEC championship game. So that's tough. I don't, listen, man. I mean, I, I don't think we can, I'm not, I don't think we can play the overrated Bama. Like beating Bama is a big deal. The hard thing is, is when you are not on a great team, then you can get credit for beating a great team. But how can CJ get credit for any win as good as beating Bama? Because he is Bama. So that's the part of this that's hard, that exceeding expectations is always exciting. And it's very hard for CJ to exceed expectations when the expectations were Ohio State were so high. Hooker is dynamic and Hooker runs. The running thing is the thing to me that is possibly the issue for CJ. From a highlight standpoint, from a total yardage standpoint, CJ throws it better than Hooker, I think, consistently. But Hooker, Hooker had a pick, but... It was his first pick of the year against Alabama, and like it was surprising. And so, like, I just Hendon Hooker is really good. So I think you have to get used to that. But if Ohio State's number one and if Tennessee does lose, um, CJ's case is going to be great. But I would vote for CJ right now. But Hooker is putting up huge yards. He's throwing it really well, and he does. He runs for like forty yards a game. And that might be a tiebreaker. And then beating Bama is a tiebreaker. So the, the good news for C.J. Stroud is his biggest game's ahead. Now, Hooker still has Georgia, but how can you get bigger than beating Bama? But C.J. has Penn State and Michigan. So C.J. hasn't had his chance to make his best case. And like the halfway Heisman, halfway All-American teams are not real. They're fake. I mean, it, it's nothing. It's good content. I get doing it, but it, it literally means nothing. Just like everything I say means nothing. So it's okay, but um, I do think it's a little bit of a window in how people might be thinking for the Heisman conversation, and it's just, you've got to keep that in mind. All right, another one about the Heisman, it's our guy Josh Mustachio. My rant is, why does Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma get credit and Heismans for what they do, but Ryan Day in Ohio State has to go over and beyond just to get a guy to New York? Hendon Hooker had five touchdowns, but he also had a pick and a fumble that resulted in a touchdown for Alabama. I feel Ryan is keeping CJ in these games, and at the end of the day, it won't even matter. It's just frustrating as a fan. So uh, Justin Fields got there. Dwayne Haskins got there. Uh, CJ Stroud got there. So they're getting to New York. Why did like why did the Oklahoma guys win? Why did Mayfield win and Kyler won? And Hertz finished second, and the Ohio State guys didn't win. Um, I think I've even had this wrong before. Dwayne didn't finish second to Burrow. Dwayne Dwayne finished third, uh, right to Kyler and Tua that year. Um, Penn State, Ohio State didn't make the Big Ten. No, they did. Twenty eighteen, yeah, they didn't make the playoff. Um, that kind of stuff matters, right? Unlike the little, so like in eighteen, Dwayne didn't make the playoff and. The other guys did, so I think that mattered. In 2019, Burrow was clearly the quarterback of the best team. That mattered against Fields. And um, CJ last year, um, 
didn't make the playoff, didn't even make it the championship weekend, and Bryce Young did, and like that mattered. So I, I think it's more about that. It's like the, actually the team success really matters a lot. So I would say this. Like neither Justin nor Dwayne nor CJ last year had the team success that is possibly out there for Ohio State this year. So if CJ Stroud is the quarterback of the undefeated number one seed, I think he will win. I don't think it's guaranteed. I, I think I would have before the season said if, if they go undefeated and they're the number one seed, like it's guaranteed. CJ wins it guaranteed. Maybe it's not as guaranteed, but I think it's still very, very likely. And so that's not what any of those guys were. That's what Joe Burrow was, right? That's not what any of those guys were. So I think keep that in mind a little bit. And also you just, it's the underdog is exciting. And that's maybe not fair, but it's real. Charles Woodson beat Peyton Manning because like the underdog, like the the guy out of nowhere is more exciting. You know, CJ Stroud's kind of in the Peyton Manning seat right now. But Peyton Manning wasn't in the national title game. So I think if CJ is the quarterback of the one seed, he'll win. But you, I, and I don't, we don't have to like disrespect Hendon Hooker. He's really good. It was his first pick the whole year. He beat Bama for like 480 yards or whatever it was, 400 plus yards and beat Bama. So like, that's pretty great. And he's really, really good. But CJ has his opportunity ahead. This one about CJ from the 513. I personally do not believe the Buckeyes will be able to win the national title if CJ refuses to scramble. CJ just scrambling a couple times a game would open up so much for this offense. I know this is talked about all the time. But I just think if there's a way to elevate the Buckeye offense, it's this. Also, it would give him a way better shot at the Heisman. Because, I, I mean, that's – with the running, it's the real deal. Anyways, have a great rest of the week. Go Bucks from the 5-1-3. So Bryce Young does not run. Both Bryce Young and CJ run to throw. I don't think he has to run. I really don't. I, I think it's – be careful what you wish for. Like, do you really – what's it really going to open up? Because the thing is, when he gets out there, he's not dangerous. Nobody is scared of CJ Stroud running. So if you take like 15 free yards because literally eight defenders are dropped 25 yards back in coverage, okay. But the minute C.J. Stroud crosses the line of scrimmage, the Ohio State offense is five times less dangerous than he is than it is when he's behind the line of scrimmage. So I just don't actually think this is what you're you're wishing. Now, him out of the pocket, out of structure, keeping plays alive, great. Good. He's better at that this year. We've seen it more. Him actually running. Like, that's the thing. It's it's all about the threat. But he is not a threat. <laughs> like, he's he's not a good runner. He's, he's not – he's a very dangerous passer. He's not a dangerous runner. So they'll let him run for seven yards. They'll let him run for 11 because that's okay. And so if you do it on – you know, if it's second and six and you run for nine yards and you get the first down, great. But it's not going to change how the defense is playing you. So like I just this is not where I am. And just imagine yourself CJ Stroud taking a big hit on a 7-yard run. How you're going to feel. I just I just don't think it's where it's at. So I and I don't think they need it. I think they need to be multiple. I think they need to be versatile. I think they need to keep teams off balance. I think they need the threat of the run from the running backs and they need to be able to throw horizontally and vertically and to multiple people. And they can do all that, but I don't think they need them to run. Um, there was one more about CJ taking a hit. We're going to skip that because it's kind of like the run thing. I read it. I liked it, but I want to move on to the Michigan stuff. There is a conflict with what you guys are thinking about Michigan right now. And Nathan and I talked a lot on the Monday pod about, Hey, what if they had, you know, two big 10 teams in the playoff? We wound up talking a lot about Michigan. 
This is from the 419 rant. I'll leave Buckeye talk for a few days as it has clearly become Wolverine bias. No context talk. Let's all pretend that Auburn wasn't about to fire their coach and Penn State's signature win was not against Purdue. I'm all for praising the run game or saying they are a solid team. However, if you replace their jerseys with Wisconsin unis, I doubt it would become unstoppable Badger talk. If history repeats, the analysis would be that the run-first teams get stuffed by Ohio State. You could bring up that one time in a blizzard without a D coordinator where players transferred midseason and half the team had the flu, but I don't think that repeats. Do what you want. It's your show. I don't have to listen to all of them. I've had enough Michigan is the best juggernaut team of all time for a season. I'll tune back in later, but while we are giving rants, here is one with some jest. Love the show. So um, that's not what we did. So I guess if you're just like, if it's a jest, that's, that's good. Um, if you think that if you put Wisconsin uniforms on Michigan, Michigan is Wisconsin, you're wrong. So like, I will tell you that's wrong. The way they put things together, JJ McCarthy compared to, compared to Graham Mertz. Um, I think they're the way the the threats they have at receiver combined with Blake Corman. Listen, I, I, Michigan's good. Nobody said Michigan's going to beat Ohio State, but I think you're tricking yourself if you don't think Michigan's good. So I'll give my overall opinion of what that good means at the end. Here's a rant from the 409. I'm really struggling to see the love for the Wolverines, both nationally and on the pod. I know that Penn State was perceived by many to be good, but they are not. They are essentially a more talented Iowa. Does anyone think the Iowa versus Ohio State game is going to be close? No. I think Ohio State obliterates both teams. I truly think people are only giving credit to Michigan because it's their first win in a decade over Ohio State. The Buckeyes are simply the most balanced team in the country, and excluding alien abduction, I don't see anything or any team stopping them from making confetti angels in January. Corey from Texas. P.S. I live outside of Houston. I can get you and T-Shoes some Rice Owls merch. Ooh, that is tempting. That is tempting. Um, More on Michigan. From the 202, listening to the pod, Michigan is a good to very good team that beat an average to good team that showed up unprepared, meaning Penn State, as Franklin regularly does following a bye week. Ohio State is flirting with being an elite national championship level team. Michigan isn't elite on either side of the ball. They have an elite run game, but their passing game is average and their defense is good, but not the level of Georgia. So I'm going to keep running through these because like, I don't, I, I don't know what people heard. I don't know if you're like, your antenna are up to be like annoyed if people say Michigan is good from the 574. It feels like fans and TV media outlets are saying Michigan is the favorite to win the Big Ten because they played well against Penn State. The perspective that they are giving feels like Michigan, not Ohio State, has been the one dominating the Big Ten the last 20 years, when in reality it's the opposite. Michigan did beat down Ohio State and controlled the whole game, but they also lost to a team Ohio State blew off the field last year, Michigan State. I think right now Michigan is a better version of Wisconsin and should try to clip Ohio State every once in a while, but they won't be able to do anything in the playoff from the 5-7-4. Who is saying that Michigan is better than Ohio State? Honestly, I like point me to the national people. Uh, someone they got asked a, Ryan Day got asked a question about like Ohio State being under the radar. Ohio State is not under the radar. Ohio State is probably the best team in the country, and like a lot of people think it. I think it's a little goofy that the SEC teams have been passing number one back and forth. People think Ohio State's good. I don't know that anybody thinks who's saying Michigan's better than Ohio State. Like you guys are straw manning this. This is not a real argument. Nobody's saying that. We're just telling you that Michigan's pretty good. I I don't know. How can you look at Michigan? Like, what's the standard? That's the thing that drives me a little nuts sometimes. Now I'm ranting about your rants. Like, everybody sucks. Nobody's good. There's two good teams. 
Like, you guys don't like SEC bias. Oh, everybody thinks the SEC is great. But anytime we say anybody outside the SEC is great, they stink too. Who's good? Who's supposed to be good? Nobody thinks, if I told you Clemson was good, I'm sure there'd be backlash to that. Who do you think is good? Who's a real challenge for Ohio State? You think Ohio State's going to win by 30 every game and steamroll? Like, people are annoyed about Tennessee if you say Tennessee's good. There are some some people. Some people are annoyed if you say Michigan's good. Some people are annoyed if you say Alabama's good if they lost. Some people are annoyed if you say Stetson Bennett. I don't, I don't understand it. There are good teams out there, and Ohio State's one of them, and Ohio State's the best one right now. They're not under the radar. But that doesn't mean that Michigan's not good. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. From the 614, I still don't think Michigan's actually good. Not sure when we ordained them as a team to really fear, but Penn State isn't a world beater, and they played down the stretch with Maryland and Iowa. McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy frequently looks lost, and teams have had success against them running the ball. Defense is as good as it may seem, but it hasn't played anybody. Don't buy the hype. So nobody. So that's the official ruling. Nobody in the Big Ten is good. It's a one-team conference. Again, congratulations to Ohio State on winning a one-team conference. Is that that's what you think? Yes, Ohio State's the best program and the best team. I'll give my thing at the end. This is from the 740. I'm aggravated by this a little bit. I don't know why, why, why is it good to think that everybody stinks? Like what your team is very, very, very good. But other teams are also good. Not as good, but other teams are also good. From the 740. Don't think I've sent a rant before. What we will call the Kim Bolton concern is that Michigan looks very physical on both sides of the ball. Last year, Ohio State not going to see a similarly physical opponent until the game. Like last year, Ohio State will not see a similarly physical opponent until the game. How can we get prepared for an opponent that dominated us at the line of scrimmage against four or five teams that although that will look as the Buckeyes as their Super Bowl, but will not be able to compete? How do we keep this team hungry when the prey is going to be easy pickings for the next five weeks? Yes, even Penn State is looking like a lightweight. I don't they're they're locked in. Like they're mad about last year. That's the thing. It's like, yeah. It, it, it doesn't look like Indiana, Northwestern, and Maryland, and Iowa are going to test them, but they're mad about last year. I, I really don't think. Like, the angry Ohio State thing is real, I think. Like, I, I wouldn't worry about, like, oh, they're going to get lackadaisical. I, I really don't think it's going to be an issue. Like, they're still so mad about last year. I think that's, I think that's real. Uh, here's one from the 419. Here's one that may shock some, but can we have some respect for Michigan? It doesn't have to be much, but they're having a similar season to last year, and they're still very good at the one thing that we have yet to be truly tested on, the run game. Also, we don't really know how good they could be passing. I don't think the end of November will be a blowout. I think it's going to be a lot like the mid-2000s when it came down to one play and your stomach wasn't knots for the duration of the game. They cannot be taken lightly. We have to beat them before any talk of a natty is had. So there were like a Michigan, a million Michigan things. I'll stop there. And this is my official stance. Ohio State is better than Michigan. Michigan cannot win the national title, and Ohio State can. In our Kings of the North conversation, the way Michigan plays and what they have right now cannot go out into the world and compete for a national title. I think what we saw Michigan-Georgia last year still holds, and I don't think that would change against anybody that they would face um, from the S, you know, if they if they played Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee this year, I don't think that would change. But I do think Michigan is good. I think Michigan is one of the five best teams in the country. I think the five best, eh, one of the six. I think there's a top level of six right now, right? Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. I still put Bama in there. Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson. 
I think those are the top six to me. Maybe it could be a little iffy on Clemson, but I think they're solid defensively and DJU's playing pretty well. And I like Will Shipley. So it's not transitive property. Ohio State is better than Michigan. Ohio State is much more equipped to go win a national title than Michigan. But could, could Michigan beat Ohio State? Yeah, I think they could. Do I think they will? No. What percent would I put on it? I don't know. 20, 15, but not zero because their run game's good. I think they're calling a good game offensively. They can get four-man pressure on defense. I think their secondary's okay. And then J.J. McCarthy's a wild card. And he's not consistent. I don't know that you'd believe in J.J. McCarthy, this version of J.J. McCarthy for 12 games, but you might believe in him for one game. And I think you almost want a wild card quarterback. You want somebody who's a little nuts, who you don't know what he's going to do. I think that's a good way to try to beat a great defense. And Ohio State's on the verge of being a great defense. So, I mean, certainly if you're out there thinking that people in the world, listen, Ohio State was off last week. If you're also like, don't get, please don't get riled up by people who don't really know what they're talking about with college football. Like if you're, I don't know, you're watching first take or something, people who are trying to comment on nine different sports and don't even know, like, I, I don't know who's making you mad. Who's making you mad that is overrating Michigan in your mind? Because all we're saying here is Michigan's pretty darn good, but they're not better than Ohio State. But I would have some respect for him. I would have some respect for him. And I didn't get to a question about like, how will Ohio State be tested? I don't really think Ohio State needs to be tested before Michigan for Ohio State. I think it would be nice for us to get a sense of them, to get a sense of this defense if they face somebody. I mean, they shut down Braylon Allen and Wisconsin pretty well. That's a good run game. So maybe we did get a sense of that. But I think... Our curiosity is what maybe would be assuaged by a tougher test for Ohio State before Michigan, but I don't think Ohio State needs it because they're just going about their business. They practice hard against each other and they're going to be ready for Michigan. Like they're not, there's nothing that's going to stop them from being ready for Michigan. So that's true, but also nothing's going to stop Michigan from being ready for Ohio State. So I'm sorry I got mad there. I just don't I, – I don't like the everybody stinks way of doing things. And and it's like – if you so like tell me – give me the list of teams you think is good. But now I think a lot of you, like if you just think, oh, no, Michigan's pretty good. Oh, no, Tennessee, I think they're pretty good. Oh, I think Bama could still be pretty good. That's not a rant, right? Hey, Doug, here's my rant. Oh, I think there are several good teams. Chip in Wichita. You know, okay, well, that's not much of a rant. I get it. But – Everybody sucks sports talk is like one of my least favorite themes because it's not true. It's not true that everybody sucks. Other teams are also good. But I do think Ohio State's the best team in the country right now. And, and, I, and I think they should be number one. And if I had an AP ballot this week, I'd have Ohio State one, Tennessee two, Georgia three. Michigan four, Clemson five, or vice versa. I can't remember what I said. I said it on the Survivor Show. Um, but those would be my top five in the Bama six. I think I think Clemson, Michigan's a toss-up. I'd actually like to see Clemson play Michigan. I think that'd be fun. So that's where we are. I, it's like I'm, I don't have to apologize for ranting about the rants, but we're just trying to like give you a heads up of like reality, which is like I would advise you to not think Michigan stinks, but also it's like Ohio State's going to be favored by like I don't know seventeen in that game, right? I mean that Ohio State's offense—that's what they do to people. So anyway, that's the rants for this week. Now it's like, I feel bad. I'm ending it by feeling bad because I got angry on the show that may as well be called Get Angry. 
I got to get better at this. Thanks to you guys for sending in 614-350-3315. Those are the texts. If you send the text to that number, you get a thing to sign up for a two-week free trial. Uh, get subscribed to Buckeye Talks so you don't miss any episodes. And please read cleveland.com slash OSU. Steven and Nathan cranking out great stuff there every day. We'll be back with a recruiting rapid fire for the Thursday pod. For now, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.